Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. Innate construction software transforms the way owners, contractors, and engineers manage projects and programs. With Innate, you get an integrated project controls platform that solves challenges in every phase of the capital project lifecycle. These are field-tested solutions that give stakeholders the information they need to minimize risk, improve operational efficiency, and control project costs. Innate, transforming the way the world builds. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. Project Chatter is sponsored by JustDo.com. JustDo.com is a cutting-edge next-gen project management portfolio platform which doesn't force you into a project structure or hierarchy. Think of it as the Minecraft of project management systems with integrated task-based chat, Gantt, Kanban, and much more. It's the only 21st century real-time platform available today. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. In this week's pod, we welcome Santosh Bhatt to talk about time location charting for linear projects. Santosh is a civil engineer based in Sydney, Australia, who has over two decades of experience in planning and scheduling of projects across Australia and Asia. Having worked across a, a range of industries, his particular area of interest is in linear infrastructure construction projects, that's a big word to say, and the application of time location charting to assist, communicate and analyze project schedules. As well as consulting to major projects, Santos has teamed up with Rusty Johnson, formerly CTO of Pertmaster, to develop a tool called TurboChart that can be used by any planner or schedule to benefit from the use of such charts. Really enjoyed this one tonight, Val, or this morning yeah, we for got, you. It was, we uh, bit, it was technical. We got a bit geeky, didn't we, uh, Martin? Without Dale here today, we, we still managed to, to ask the difficult questions. And I think from, from my perspective, having listened to this from Santos directly. I'm curious. I want to try this on a few different projects. How about you? Yeah, same actually. I, I really want to see it. We It's something that sounds quite, com- or when you first see it, it looks quite complex. We both said before the pod, we saw mm. one and we didn't really understand it. And it it was probably just us being a bit thick, really. <laughs> but it, um, if you've got the data right in your planning software, which you know major projects have competent planners, um, now it, it is possible to do and it, it's something that's really engaging it's, it's visual and it, and it gets people talking and engaged in the process which I think is really important it's something we probably struggle with in in former mm. roles um, anything that gets people talking about the schedule is great how about Absolutely. you what were your kind of thoughts on the 
on the show. Oh, look, I'm, I'm glad we, we kept it simple. Uh, we talked about linear scheduling a little bit. We talked about how you might applicate with uh, progress and baselines and risk and how that would be simply visualized. And I, I love visual planning tools. I think that's the future. But folks, we won't get away with too much today. We'll, we'll let you sit back and relax and enjoy the pod. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always good to have you with us. We don't have everyone today. We have Dale off today, but we do have Mr. Martin, Machine Gun Martin. How are you, sir? Very good, thanks. And yourself? I'm good. I'm very good. And it's good to have a new guest uh, and more of the technical field as well today. I think a lot of the time we do do some, you know, more behavioral leadership, um, philosophy type uh guests but i am a bit of a geek and i know you are too man so today we'll do a bit of geek speak with our friend santosh bar santosh thanks for being here today mate how are you i'm good thank you thanks pal thanks martin it's uh it's good to have you my friend because i know we've had we've had a very short podcast engagement together but we haven't had a long podcast form and for something that you do santosh and i know for you it's you know, it's easy pie but for a lot of us you, you talk in foreign terms and i know some of the listeners <laughs> Some of the listeners are really struggling out there. I, I know you know this, but there are a lot of big projects going on at the moment, massive infrastructure and civil projects. And one of the things we talk about is a plan on a page. And, mm. you know, this is all about getting to simplicity and allowing our, our, our teams to work together and have an integrated view of what's really happening out there in the field. And it's been a challenge. And I think a lot of people will benefit from understanding what you do and how you do it. But Santosh, from my perspective, um, I want to get to a, a point of baseline understanding. And I always start with this, Martin Moses, with definitions, because I think sometimes we get we get lost in words and there are a lot of buzzwords out there. So plan on a page is a very simple one. But how would you define time change or some of the other names or terms it's called um, in a real simple, uh, simple view? Uh, okay. So in a really simplistic way, it essentially is... It is a schedule, it's a form of presenting uh, activities from a project schedule. The key difference between, I guess, a traditional Gantt chart, which is what we're used to seeing, you know, a bar chart where the times and times are across the page and every activity is represented by a single bar. The difference with these time location charts, as I call them, is you're adding a second dimension to it, which is um, a location or where an activity is occurring as well as when. And what that lets you then do is um, imagine a grid where you've got uh, time as one axis and a second axis representing a physical location, then you're able to plot, well, not just when activities are happening, but where they're occurring as well. So the, the fundamental difference in the way I like to explain it is when we see a typical Gantt chart, the vertical axis is typically consists of a work breakdown structure or some sort of, mm -hmm. you know, some sort of coding hierarchy, which lets you organize, but you're, essentially limited to one task or one activity per row. Now, imagine instead of having a WBS, you have a, a grid line that represents a physical location. And on linear projects, such as a highway or a tunnel, um, the start to end point of that project is a really good linear axis. You know, you can imagine a 40 kilometer motorway, you start at zero and you've got 40 kilometers, and then you use that grid to define, well, where is everything happening? So if you've got a a piece of work that's happening in the first two kilometers, 
well, there's your zero to two for location. And then the dates for that task are spread across the vertical, uh, sorry, the horizontal axes. Um, the only difference is really is most of, most of the time you see these charts, especially on um, horizontal linear projects, the charts drawn rotated. Mm. You know, so we have the time on the vertical scale and the linear scales across the horizontal scale. That's the only fundamental difference. And it seems to me, and I don't know how Martin feels about this, but that seems to be the challenging part when people see the time has moved because we're so <laughs> used to, I think from school even, we're so used to time being on the horizontal, aren't we? And to change that, you, you're actually changing the paradigm of how you view that information. And one of the questions I've got is, around well but actually before we get there let's step back a bit how did you get involved in time change where, where did it start for you sure um so a long long time ago it seems uh, back in the early 2000s when i was first cutting my teeth in the world of planning and scheduling i was working on a job for a fiber optic rollout so this is laying thousands of kilometers of fiber optic roll um cable around australia the purest type of linear project you can think of you know you've got this thin essentially fiber optic cable being laid for hundreds and thousands of kilometers. Um, and I was working with my, uh, my boss at the time and my mentor and friend, Robert Turner was his name. Um, and he actually found a piece of software that integrated with Primavera P3 back in those days, um, mm. an old German piece of software called Linear, L-I-N-E-A. And what this let you do was by assigning some attributes to activities in Primavera P3, you could actually present them on this chart that did exactly just as I explained to you. And what mm -hmm. we were able to do is to then say, right, so very clearly on a single page, we can represent the long runs of this rolling this cable out um, because with fiber optic networks, the way they work is uh, you can lay the cable for about hundred kilometers and then you have to put a repeater station in that basically mm -hmm. grabs the fiber, you know, grabs the uh, optical signal and amplifies it for the next 100, 100 kilometers. So every 100 kilometers, you've got effectively a, a, a hut that grabs the signal and expands it. And then you've got this section of cable in between. So you can imagine for um, a section such as Sydney to Melbourne, which is about 800 meters, oh, sorry, 800 kilometers, you've got nine of these huts, or well, actually, you've got two major centers and you've got six huts and lengths of cable in between them and you've got to juggle all the you know you've got to do the design the side access you've got to get permission to go and get onto the land you've got environmental issues you've got the actual construction issues and then you've got the commissioning now when you're putting together a project like this um, the designers they say what would be ideal is we could commission from the major capital cities and work inwards that way we have one continuous uh, network. But when you actually start planning these projects, what you find is due to all those other constraints that I just mentioned, it's very rare that you get this nice continuous workflow from the ends into the middle. So you're always constantly trying to juggle, you know, which section do we get access to first? Which one is the constraint? So throwing all that into the mix, when you've got hundreds of these huts and thousands of kilometers worth of work, we found that this representation using uh, time change was by far um, um, the more, you know, far more effective way of presenting the schedule than printing out Gantt charts. So we worked mm -hmm. on this project, we worked with P3, we developed the, the program or the schedule. And instead of up on the wall, sticking up Gantt charts and saying, look at the schedule, everyone, we actually started producing these uh, time change diagrams. 
And people were looking at that going, oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, what's all that about? And by that, I mean, one thing, um, the lesson I learned was um, by taking away the Gantt chart, and in particular, taking away pages and pages and pages of Gantt chart, what you actually do is you make the schedule something that's more engaging. People get interested in it. People mm. uh, tend to want to look at it. Uh, and the moment people start looking at the schedule, you also get their feedback, you know, which is, which is a very important aspect of planning and scheduling. You know, uh, it should never be done in isolation or in silos. And so the more engaging you, you can make the schedule, um, the far more effective it is. Did you have to explain, did you have to spend a lot of time explaining this concept to people and probably getting around some of the <laughs> unconscious incompetence maybe? Absolutely, of, uh... yes, that's definitely the case. And, um, you know, following from that project, you know, literally for the next, you know, ever since then, any opportunity I get to present schedules in this format, I do. And one of the most common things we have to do is that exactly as you said, Martin, is that, um, and there's a classic story where, that I like to say, where you know we presented this to to for someone once and he was like what is this rubbish put it away i'm not interested give me the give me the you know the primavera printout and we said no no just please just give us a few minutes of your time and we explained on this chart you know here's the here's the areas and the location here's the dates and look at all these things on there and the bit you're looking after is this bit in here and i like to say you could literally see the light bulb turning on you know this you know mm. like the face was just like, wow, am I really seeing all of this information here in front of me? And from then on, you know, it was, there was no more request for Primavera anymore. It was always just, have you updated the time change? Where's my latest time change? Give me one that I can scribble on, you know, and they would take it away. And we even got to a point on, um, on some projects where we would laminate these charts and give people whiteboard markers to say, go away and play with it. Because we found that that was actually a more useful way of them, you know, just, just, playing and seeing what they could do and um you know to me that's a that's a that's a win in the as a planner because you know you're getting someone looking at something that they otherwise wouldn't have yeah i think we can agree and about a lot of our listeners about the uh, the pages and pages of gantt charts <laughs> and just just how how do you simplify you know the cpm method which is still valid and I, i've seen some of your debates online with linkedin about <laughs> project planning and i you know i'm with you santosh i mean there is a place for everything right and i think some of these methods are good and this is the challenge we have right i think with all these different methods which one which one rules the nest and for me it goes back to just keeping things simple you know mm. the idea of trying to make things complex because they are complicated doesn't need to be the case we can actually draw out the themes that are important to us. And then we can have, I guess, what we call the, the undercarriage of information. So my idea is that um, things like the, the, the time change and plans on a page and, and dashboards are kind of like a, an indicator of interest. You've got an overview of what's happening. And then if you want to dive into the information, you can, because it's all still there. It's all still relevant. And it's being driven by what we call a single source of truth, Santosh. Have you heard that before? No, I've heard that a few times, yeah. <laughs> So, so my, my question is, um, how do you start? So if someone's listening to this sentence, they go, man, this sounds pretty cool. Uh, where do you start planning with this in terms of if I want to use a linear project template or change diagram template, and I want to start placing these things, you mentioned it, it links to P3. I imagine it links to P6 now. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get that information all, all organized? Do you need to be trained in time change or can you just start to, group information together to to get that view 
it certainly doesn't require any specific training. That's that's one thing straight off the bat. So um, obviously you need to be able to drive the the scheduling software. So you have to have the mm -hmm. capacity to operate Primavera or Microsoft Project or whatever your preferred scheduling tool is. Um, but the way um, so there's there's this essentially two methods of working with these charts, right? One is where you actually do your planning on the chart itself. So that might be a case where um, you have, let's say, for instance, you have a blank chart and you start defining activities on the chart itself and mm -hmm. you figure out, you know, we might do this then and we, we might shift this around. Um, the, the issue with that is that, first of all, um, you need those activities to be logically linked. And what I mean by that is that if you do say, you know, one of these tasks might take a, an extra month, what you want to see is the knock-on effect, you know, that mm -hmm. by delaying something by a month, what is the knock-on effect? Um, so in order to do that, you need to have a scheduling algorithm built onto the chart itself. Now, there is a, a popular piece of software that, that does that, um, is allows you to generate these charts freehand and has a scheduling algorithm behind it. Um, I've, not pref I've never liked that particular method. And so the method that I tend to use is kind of the opposite where I say, well, we already have a scheduling engine. We already have scheduling mm -hmm. software that we're all familiar with. What do we need to do to get from the scheduling software to the chart? So I tend to use the, the time location chart more as just a graphical output and the scheduling software is where the actual, you know, the work is done. So the, that's where the data is kept, any changes. So for instance, if you want to see the effect of that activity taking one month longer, do that in your scheduling engine because that's what it's designed for. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a scheduling engine, right? It, it, it contains all the relationships, all the resources and all the connections that you need. So if you're trained on how to use the scheduling software, the only additional attributes you need to think about is, is defining where an activity occurs. So we mentioned earlier that, you know, you might have a linear access. You might say, this is an activity that's going for my first two kilometers. So you can either define it as being from zero to 2000 meters, right? That can be like a definition that you, that you just add some extra um, values against an activity. Or you may even just leave it as just defining it by area one, area two, area three, for example. And then the second thing you need to think about is how do I want these displayed on the chart? Because um, it, it does, it is important on how you decide how these activities get displayed on these charts. And we can probably talk about that in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, but at its simplest level, it's, you know, I want this activity to appear as a blue box. I want this activity to appear as a, as a gray line. I want this activity to be a milestone. Um, you do need to make a decision on that. But essentially, that's just a tagging exercise. You're just adding a couple of extra pieces of data to every task in your schedule. You know? So if you already know how to use Primavera or Microsoft Project, you're 80% of the way to producing these charts anyway. Did you say it could handle resources? And there was no, I'm saying almost the a scheduling, separate, the the scheduling, scheduling the software, software does, yeah. resource management is maintained. And that's, and that's why I like using that option rather than the first option that I presented is because um, your scheduling software, you know, that's, that's where everything's kept, right? And, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're doing a resource leveling exercise, um, the, to me, the risk in, in the first method 
as well as maintaining a scheduling software is that there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. uh, you might make changes in one that don't reflect in the other and that could lead to all sorts of problems. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I think you already kind of alluded to it. And if you want to share screen, I see you've got one behind you. And as you said, the colors are probably important. Is Can you explain how you potentially group the colors? Is it by discipline or, or resource, as Martin was saying? How do you go about, uh, you know, color shading the, the time change? Yeah, I mean, the colors. So I, uh, we tend to use colors to represent disciplines of work. So if I go back to that example, I was talking about the fiber optic layout. Um, projects. So when you're constructing these huts, you might decide that, you know, um, building the foundation for each hut, we're going to represent that as a blue box. So you'll see hundreds of these blue boxes around the chart and you straight away know every time I see a blue box, that's representing the foundation work. Um, we may put the actual, let's say you're excavating, you know, to, to lay the cable in the ground. We might represent all the excavation activities as a green line. So then, you know, when I look at these charts and I see a green line, I know that that's excavation. But that then mm -hmm. starts enabling uh, a lot more discussion. And this is perhaps where um, our discussion can head down is you start seeing these green lines together on a page and you can start making, asking questions about, well, why is there a gap there? Or, you know, why have we got multiple green lines all happening at the same time in the same space? That doesn't make sense. So it, it, it lets you start asking those type of questions. But essentially, um, the recommendation is you group like activities using the uh, similar colors and shapes on these charts. Um, the shapes themselves have some representation. I don't know if you perhaps should expand on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so when you, when you use a, uh, an area or a, or a box, what you're actually representing on these charts is to say, I have a piece of work and activity that's occupying this area for the length of time, right? So, you know, let's, let's just go back to our very simple example of zero to two kilometers. Like, let's say that represents uh, earthworks, okay? So we're doing mm -hmm. earthworks over a two kilometer stretch for six months. We might draw that as a box that's spanning six months and covering two kilometers. So you know that in that space and time, this type of work is occurring. Okay, so a box is work that's occupying space for a fixed amount of time. Whereas if you use a shape that's got a, a gradient, such as a line, you're actually adding another more useful piece of information, which is also a rate of progress. So you're actually now saying, we're starting at this point on this date, and we're finishing at this point on this date, therefore the angle of the line represents a rate of production. Right. That's and then, a great, that's a great point. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if you say we're planning on doing something at a hundred meters per day, right. You expect to see that as a certain angle. Whereas if you then say we're doing the next task at only 50 meters per day, it'll be at a different angle. And you'll start seeing that very clearly on these charts to say there's a difference in the rate rate of production. And what that leads to is lots of other useful bits of information, such as why is the rate of production for the same type of work different in different areas, right? Is that just a mistake that we made in the schedule or is there a valid reason for it? You might find the soil conditions are different or the, you know, the, the, we might have double the crews, so therefore we're working twice as fast. You know, there's all these questions that can come out mm -hmm. of looking at, at these charts. Um, you know, or it, you know, and then the third dimension to those 
to those lines is also the direction, right? You might be working in one direction and the, the chart's drawn in this way. Whereas if you're working in the other direction, the lines will go in the opposite direction, um, which when you're planning these projects is also of importance because um, you might think about things like you've got a, a work site or a camp or a depot and all the works may need to come out of the depot. And so you, you may have an interesting situation where some of the works are occurring in one direction and some of the work is occurring in the second direction. Um, is there interference? Is there an issue? I mean, this, um, without diving into the detail, I mean, the benefit of these charts is that all of those kind of planning related issues just jump out at you visually, which would mm. otherwise get lost in the Gantt chart. Yeah, that's great. I think as well, just, just, noting those those angles is a really good idea because sometimes we, we do i mean that is one of the things the problems with planning when you're planning multiple things of the same size you know you want to know progress and so does it also then provide a line in terms of your status against the plan because obviously this is pulling in that the planned effort from hmm. the program let's say how do you then measure the progress can you do you put a line on the on the plan do you add status in terms of percent complete how do you do that so um using as i mentioned there's there's two methods using that first method you could potentially do that the the, the complication with measuring progress on these charts is um and let me take a step back because when we typically measure progress in our scheduling software you know we have a planned start and a planned finish for tasks Mm -hmm. But when you're measuring progress, what you might do is you might place an actual start and then you put a percent complete, which may then define what's the remaining duration, which then defines when you expect uh, the task to finish. When you're working in a uh, time location world, you've got an added complexion a complication because not only do you have to measure the actual start and the remaining duration, but you actually need to define, well, where did we actually start in terms of a location where are we up to in the location and what's the remaining location so you've actually uh, introduced three additional pieces of information that are required to progress measure if you're mm -hmm. working in that manner so um i tend to you know think that's that's just making life unnecessarily complex for for managing it um and i just go back to my principle that says well the, the the data's the data's already there in your scheduling software when you calculate a remaining duration and therefore a planned finish. So what we'll just do is we'll just use that, right? There's a simple rule that says anything earlier than the, the status date is an actual and anything later than the status date is a forecast, right? This mm. yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes so really um, what it's showing is is remaining work would be the easiest way to yeah, yeah, and so what we've, um, I mean, in the software that I've been working on, um, we've actually allow you to do a comparison between versions of schedules. So much like you might place a baseline bar and a, and a you know, a, a, and a current bar in, in your scheduling software, we allow you to do a like a baseline chart and a current chart overlaid on top of it. And we've got some smarts in there that let you differentiate between the two. And so you mm -hmm. can then see visually well, here's when we planned on doing it and here's where we're actually forecasting on, on where it will be. And it doesn't require any additional information to what you've entered into the scheduling software. Well, that's what my que next question was going to be sent us around baselines, because again, one of the values of having a planning tool is to see where are we moving too much? Um, you get that mm -hmm. month end, you do an update, you see we're slipping, 
Are we slipping on something that's important? Are we slipping on something that's critical? Um, are we eroding float? Where are we eroding float? And it gets it gets a bit messy because other other than the planners and maybe some really competent project managers, uh, it's lost in the noise mm-hmm. until it's hitting something critical, right? And that by that time, it's too it's too late. Um, so so you mentioned it says it captures baselines. How does it do that? How do you represent that visually on the uh, on the time change uh, dashboard? Sure. So I mean, uh, look, essentially a baseline is a schedule, right? It's just a a, a schedule with a set of dates. Um, mm-hmm. The only difference between a baseline and a current schedule is you may have fewer or, or no actual dates. Like if you think about the baseline that's set at the beginning of a project, in theory, you shouldn't have any actual dates and it's all a remaining forecast. So we will grab that schedule, we'll grab the dates, we can even um, grab what are the critical activities of that particular version of the schedule and present that on a chart. So we can draw that on the chart, we can highlight which are the critical activities. So you actually get a, a critical path. It's, it, look, it can look a little bit strange on these time location charts because we're using CPM criticality, not what's called a linear scheduling criticality, which is a whole other topic. Um, but we can present that as a chart. Now, as you progress on your project, you know we um, typically update our schedules on a regular basis, be that weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, however often, um, what you're actually doing is each update is effectively another version of a schedule right? with a mix of actuals and remaining forecasts. So what we can do is actually at any point is transfer that update into our tool um, and it just gets presented as another version of a schedule. And what we can then do is the smarts that we've built into it is um, the, the version of the schedule that you want to represent as a baseline can be drawn with a level of transparency. So it sits in the background as a faded, as a bit of a faded picture. We can even get it to what we call blend. So that I mentioned, we mentioned colors, right? We said, you know, you might have a various range of colors, but what we've said is you might want to represent everything in the baseline just as a, as a gray color rather than, you know, overloading <laughs> the, the senses with too much colors and shapes. You might say everything in the baseline we want represented as a gray line. Um, so the baseline, version of the schedule can take on um, a, a gray transparent appearance. And then what mm-hmm. the, the third smart thing we've done is, um, uh, which is again, getting into the technical details a little bit, but we allow you to do what's called offsetting. So you can you imagine if you've got two areas drawn and your baseline and your forecast has those two areas at the same dates in the same location, they'll actually get drawn on top of one another. And it's very hard to distinguish between the two. So what we've got is the ability to just slightly shift things a little bit. And it creates a bit of a box shadow effect so that you can see, well, you know, there's our baseline and there's our forecast. And you can see the the gap that sticks out. You you kind of mentioned critical path earlier. How was that represented or is it represented on, on that chart? It is it possible be. to um, see the variations in, in it within a, yep. a, a planet yep. cycle? So essentially, like I said, we just capture versions of the schedule, whether it's your baseline or your month six update. Um, most scheduling software has a flag that gets added to activities to define whether it's critical or not. And this is typically defined by the options that you set when you calculate your schedule. So for example, um, if you use 
primavera, you might turn around and say anything with less than five days of total float is defined as critical. That's set in the scheduling options. And so what primavera does is against every activity, there's a, uh, a, a yes, no field that says, is this activity critical or not? So we just grab that in piece of information. So we pull that into our system that says, is this activity critical or not? And then we have an option that says, for all the activities that are tagged as critical, just display them with a red box. So you can actually visually see a sequence of activities on the chart that represents the critical part of the version of schedule that you're representing. Excellent. What about, um, sorry to jump in there, Martin. Uh, you mentioned that P6 feeds, or at least the scheduling software feeds into the time change, if it is a software. Can you do it the other way around? Because as you said, you know, sometimes it's useful to have a laminate and you talk to some of these civil engineers, et cetera, and they'd love to just use the box and, and kind of draw it backwards and push, I guess, into the program. So can you use the time change to, to, to feed backwards? Um, well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, there's two main methods of doing, of using these charts. If you're using the former method where you have got the ability to draw on the chart itself, shift things around and recalculate the network, you can certainly do that, right? So you could, if for instance, the engineer that you're sitting with says, no, look, we need an extra month to do this particular task. You can drag that extra month um, and then visually see the knock-on effect of all of that. Now, um, Project Shadow is sponsored by ProSci. Why are some projects more successful than others? Even the best solutions fall short when we fail to support the people who must use them in their daily work. Change is not an event, it's a journey. Change management is about helping people through their journeys and breaking down barriers so projects can achieve successful outcomes. As the globally recognized leader in change management solutions, ProSci has helped thousands of organizations improve project ROI and build change-ready cultures. Want to learn how change management works? Visit prosci.com forward slash project chatter to get your free change management for project managers resource kit. It sounds good. And it sounds like mm. oh, that's really neat. You know, we're, we're working with this, but uh, the caution that I'll express is that um, first of all, the software that can do that type of thing is typically another scheduling engine. So you've, you've now got this state where you may have parts of your schedule in one system and parts of your schedule in another system um, because one of the drawbacks, I won't say it's a drawback, but these time location charts are very well suited to um, the physical works. You know, you're building a motorway or a tunnel, you've got the physical works for that motorway or tunnel. What they're not necessarily very good at is managing the other aspects of a project. You know, you're, you've got um, environmental approvals, you've got site access, you've got design, you've got procurement. There's all these other bits and pieces that actually are outside that physical installation of the work. And you know, to really capture and plan a project correctly, they all need to be connected together and, and related together. So if you're focusing on just that physical aspect, there is a risk that you may make a change that may not match where you lie with those other aspects of the project, which is where um, my method, which is work with that integrated information and just draw the charts. So the way we design that software in, in your little scenario there, Val, is um, if the engineer suggests some changes on the chart, yes, you could make the change in the chart, but what I would expect is that the planner takes that information away, goes back to the scheduling tool, makes the changes in the scheduling tool where then you might find out, hey, we can't actually do that because of all these other factors, or 
if we make that change, the result is, you know, we've, we've, we, there's something we hadn't considered on the chart itself. Um, and what we've allowed, what, what I prefer is that you can then redraw that chart very rapidly. So literally every change that you make in the schedule, you need to be able to see the impact on the chart. So how could this chart um, show things like contractual dates? Is it just a, a tag in? Um, well, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a few. I mean, this is where you get to be a little bit creative. And certainly, you know, I, I tend to think planning and scheduling is just as much art as it is science. Um, and so I, I, you know, if you did have a contractual date, like let's say a, a single project completion date, you might, uh, you'll have a milestone for that in your schedule typically. So you might turn around and say, I want to represent that as just a line that spans the full area of my, of my work. So you can draw that on your chart from the start to end on the, on the fixed date for the project completion. So that will just be a line on the chart. And obviously, if you find that some of your tasks are dropping below that line or going over that line, then you have a problem. So just out of interest, I think, I think you've kind of sold Bal and I on this um, as, a, <laughs> as a concept. When you're doing your schedule reviews, when you, you've got your engineers and project managers stood around the, the whiteboard or whatever you're using in the virtual world, mm -hmm. what other metrics are you using alongside that to, to, to show your performance? Because what you're showing there is kind of where you're going, which is, let's face it, the most important part. How do you understand your performance rates to date? Are you hitting what you said you would do? Is, is that other other things that you're using alongside that? Or is that the primary planning metric that you're using to? Um, I don't see these time location charts as being a metric measure as such. Um, okay. you, I mean, it's really ultimately what it is, is a, a graphical representation of the dates, right? From a schedule. So if you're slipping in a certain area that will just appear um, as a gap between what you plan to achieve and what you are achieving. But um, the way I see the time location charts is it's, it's another one of the tools that you use when you're managing these projects. So typically, um, you know, when, you, when you're sitting in a schedule review meeting, not only will you look at, you know, where are we slipping, what's changed to the critical path and what's our forecast dates, but you'll have all the other metrics that you're using, you know, um, cubic meters of concrete poured, lineal meters of piping laid, whatever uh, KPIs that you're measuring against, um, you know, number of design packages pumped through the door. So this is just another one of those. It's, it's in, by no means is it meant to replace or override any of those factors. Where I see the benefit of, of the approach that I advocate is that it's all coming, it's hopefully all coming from the single source of truth, Val, there you go. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that rather than it being um, I have seen instances where people produce these charts offline. If we say, you know, they're, they're, they may work in um, a drawing package or they may work in just Microsoft Excel where they've manipulated the lines on the chart. And that's where the risk of the disconnect is that, you know, your schedule says one thing, your KPIs say another thing. And then we've got this chart over here that says a third thing. And all that's going to do is create confusion. Are there things that can be kind of bolted onto this in the future. So I'm guessing the software can do a certain amount now and it's, it's showing really visualization. Are there things that you're kind of looking to, to enhance with, with it or maybe 4D or other, yeah. other things? So we, I mean, um, we often get asked 
how does a time location chart relate to 4D? Um, and my answer is, well, they're complementary, right? They're not competing tools, they're complementary tools. But the, the, the fundamental difference between the two is that the time location is ideally a chart that you use to represent the entire schedule, or at least you know a, a, a big chunk of it. So you might you might be able to show a, a two year project on one chart, whereas 4D is a snapshot. Effectively, what a 4D is 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 a point in time, and then a series of those points in time clipped together to form an animation. Right, so. You can imagine when you've got, if you've got a 4D, if you've got 4D on your screen, you'll have, a, you'll have a timeline and you drag the timeline to say, well, which, you know, we're starting at this point, we're ending at this point, show me a snapshot at month number eight. Now, if you think about a time location chart, um, if you've got the dates on the vertical axes, it's like having a line that's running down the page and saying, well, stop at month eight and tell me where we are on this point in time. Um, one of the, one of the, I guess, um, the different, one of the main differences between using time location and 4D, if you want, is if you think about a, an infrastructure project, right? If you think about a, a railway or a metro, let's say you've got five kilometers of, of this piece of work, and in the middle, you've got a station box. So you've got 5,000 meters of work and a 100 meter long station in the middle. That can get lost. If you're trying to, you know, in, when you're looking at a 4D model, if you're trying to view the entire project, you know, the station is a very small component over a very long area, and it can be very hard to, to see the entire project and look at the detail of that sort of type of information. You've either got to zoom into one particular area and then the rest of it's lost, or you're looking at it at such a high level that the detail is lost. Um, the time location chart can always present you that entire schedule in one view. Um, that's you know that's always one of the benefits of it. But I don't look. I don't think they're competing. I think they're actually complementary. Um, where you know what would be nice in the future is if you know the the systems were all connected together and you know as a as a participant on a project or one of the managers or executives, you you had a lovely dashboard that you logged into and you saw summary schedule your 4D option, your, you know, your time location and whatever paraphernalia you've got. And it's all, you know, it, it, these days, um, it's much easier to connect the data together. Um, it's more a function of what you want to do with it than what's capable. Yeah, there's good points. And I, you know, just speaking to you, Santos, you know, you speak logic, which is absolutely ridiculous in the, in the, in the uh, disciplines that we're in. Um, how dare you? But uh, <laughs> why, why isn't, time change as common as you would expect. I mean, we've been on, all been on big projects and a lot of projects and, you know, it's not mentioned, uh, it's not preferred, it's not, you know, there's, there's no discussion about. So if you're drafting, a lot of the times we debate about methodology, which I know you do, and you're very active as well in that space. But we don't necessarily say, well, here's all the options. As you said, like, wouldn't it be nice if we just had, um, you know, a screen with all the different methodologies and the benefits of, and you plugged in, the, the types and variations and the uniqueness of your particular project as a property, right? And it said, based on the project you have, Santosh, these are the tools we would recommend. And this is how we would, you know, kind of structure it. And these are the documents you would need. And, you know, almost like just giving you that easy sense of, okay, well, I don't have to worry about what I need and what I don't need because, you know, someone's figured it out, which, because we have, we surely have. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't see what the barrier is. And maybe you've got some insights on, why we're not using this more often? 
Uh, it's a really good question and one that I really have grappled with for a long time as well. Um, because I've used them so much in my own work and in my own career, I, you know, it's second nature to me to just assume that everyone else is doing it. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's, that's a bit of a bit of my own bias, I think, in, in you know, what you, you mean you don't know about them. Um, mm. But uh, I think there are a few barriers of entry. One is um, I think people under the impression that they do require a lot of work to produce and maintain and, um, they look very complicated at first. So, it, you know, it, it, I'll stick to my, I'll stick to what I know, right? I think that's one barrier. I think the second barrier has been, um, even if you are aware of them and know the benefits in using them, um, the, the tools and the methods to create them may be out of reach. So, um, you know, the, as I said, there's, there is various pieces of software ranging from very cheap to very expensive. Um, and they all vary in the amounts of training that you need to, to do as well. So some essentially are, you know, you learn yourself, learn in a matter of hours, whereas others are more, you need to attend classroom type training for several days to use. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the third reason is, is also just, you know, like anything else, it's always comes down to what do the you know, senior executives on a project mandate, you know, like you'll find that the moment, you know, project director says, oh, why haven't we done this? You know, within a few weeks, it's done. Whereas, you know, whereas if it's just left up to the, the project team to come up with, they may go through a cycle of experimenting, figuring out what works best and tweaking mm. this, tweaking that. And it may take quite a long time to actually get to that point. So um, I think it's a lot of it's just, I think it's a lot of it's just down to awareness, you know. Um, what are, and and it's, it is a strange thing because, um, it, this is not a new concept, right? This is not uh, what mm. you know, these charts are not some modern invention that you know has only been spurned by the access to computers and things. Um, I've I've found examples of what I call what is effectively a time location chart dating back to the early 1800s. Um, you know these these charts were being prepared manually when they were when they were first building rail rail railways around Europe. They had to determine well, you know, how are our train timetables going to operate? If it if a train starts in Paris, how long does it take to get to the next station, and when will it arrive at Lyon? You know, they they did then using manual charts drawn where you had location on one axis and time on another axis. Um, so and and certainly there's a very classic example of the Empire State Building. Um, the delivery of the steel that you can you can view if you actually visit the Empire State Building that used what is effectively a time location chart. Mm. Um, so it's not a new technique. It's not a new methodology. Um, perhaps uh, it's just fallen by the wayside as as CPMs you know become a dominant tool and the PCs meant that what we call you know precedence diagramming has taken over. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I kind of think you're right. The awareness piece, and hopefully, just being on the show today, we'll get a bit more awareness, and we can move the needle in the right direction. Because I do think it is a good tool, and as you said, it is a complement to the other types of methods that we use. And critical path is there. We've had many debates on this show <laughs> on critical path and its place in that in that uh, planning sphere. And I know you have as well. And it makes us all all laugh. But in the serious point, I think. What else can we do? And, and I wanted to ask you, I know Martin asked you about the future, but 
Are you looking at any innovations to, to move uh, time change to an, a new direction? Um, are you looking at how you would integrate it with some of these um, visual elements? Like we are seem to, we seem to be talking more about the assets rather than just the projects now. So asset management lifecycle through digital, uh, digital twins and the like. Um, are you seeing this being a, con a, a continuous complementary piece or are you looking at ways to integrate it? We're not actively looking to integrate it with um, other, other tools at the moment. And that's not because we don't want to, but um, when we think about the way that we use these tools, as I mentioned, essentially there's four pieces of data for every item that's drawn on these charts, you know, a start and end date and a start and end location, right? So if you've got any tool or any system that can produce that type of information, it may be suitable to producing on these time location charts. So if you think about um, like, let's say, you know, typically we're building a highway and that's a project, you'll have a project schedule that has all that information, fantastic. But what about the next 10 years? You know, what about all the maintenance work that needs to be um, undertaken over on a, on a highway? You know, you have to replace, you have to replace all sorts of things. You have to run maintenance across this. Um, as long as your system that you're using has got the capacity to say, this is when we're doing something and this is where we'll be doing that thing, you'll be able to put mm. that in type of information on these charts. Um, so mm. I don't think it's so much a uh, technology thing as much as us just being a little bit more creative in the way we, we actually use all of that information. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good point. I, I was thinking because I'm playing around in that virtual space, Santosh. We're doing a lot um, of just, uh, and play is the right word. So I'm not saying I'm professional in this, but the metaverse and how we might use spatial tools to understand projects better. And one of the one of the things I was thinking is because this is when and where, which is actually my understanding now of, of time change. If anyone asks me now, it's like when and where. If you have that data, time change would be really useful. I think I could see it. I could see something like that in the virtual space where it was somehow linked to these visual models of the oh. environment that you're trying to build. Uh, you, you, sorry, you're going to say something? No, go on. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, are you playing in this virtual space to set, in terms of awareness and understanding and maybe making it a bit more interactive? Um. To, to be honest, no, because one of the one of the risks that we can have with these charts is to overcomplicate them, and there's a there there is a a point where it starts becoming a bit counterproductive to bombard with too much information on these charts. Um, mm. I'll give you a, a a very good example, and I think it 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 is uh, okay. Let me start with the example. Consider. Um, again, a highway, right? You'll have a, a one carriageway and a second carriageway typically. So you might have a northbound and a southbound carriageway. Now, the way these charts are represented, um, you have to kind of, own, because you only have one axis, you can't really demonstrate each carriageway as its own axis on these charts unless you have two separate charts. Now, perhaps where you're talking about is like, I, can't, I could see potentially one day you're putting on these, you know, the uh, virtual reality goggles and stepping into a world where these charts have multiple layers associated with them, if you want to call it that, where you're stepping through potentially each of these uh, carriageways or each of these access points. And you might have a little slider that says, well, show me uh, this particular point in time. But having said that, I think that's where 4D is anyway. Um, mm. You know, I think 4D and BIM 
provides you with that uh, sort of augmented reality type of view of the world. Um, and you've already got the same, you've got the same dimensions in BIM where you've got, you know, what is happening, where is it happening and when is it happening? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I don't know how much more technological solutions we can apply to this technique without making it overly complex and perhaps counterproductive. Yeah, no, that's a good um, point. And I think, here you go, mate. Yeah. No, I was gonna say, I mean, the one, one area where we could potentially take this is into the field of what, what is sometimes referred to as linear scheduling. Um, you know, at the moment, the, the method that I adopt and all the method that, the method that all the tools in the marketplace use is ultimately CPM. You know, you calculate a, a forward pass and a backward pass and you calculate floats based on that. There, there are models um, that I, I don't know of any software or tools that do this at the moment, but certainly academia has written about it, um, of what's called linear scheduling. So you can imagine rather than having to calculate a forward and backward critical path, um, you're actually doing what's called a, a, a down and upward pass and you're actually calculating criticality based on the position of the lines and the shapes. Um, and you have these terminologies in play like a controlling activity path um, and secondary controlling path, getting very complex here. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know of any software in the marketplace that does that type of thing yet. And I dare say they probably won't be because the market for it's probably quite small. It'd be a fun exercise to do even in Excel though, if, it's, if it is algorithm based and you wanted to just have a bit of a play for all the geeks out there like Martin. Um, we could we could certainly play with that because I, I love the idea of just uh, exploring, you know, the thought experiment of just, you know, what if, you know, and as a planner, a previous planner, and I know you have been as well, what if is such a powerful uh, space that I don't think we get time, enough time on projects to play in. And you look at the the success rate of some of these big projects, Santosh, which we all know so well, it's the same headline everywhere you go almost um, around the world. We're not moving the needle effectively. And I know there's multiple facets to that. It's not just planning. But I think in the engine room, planning is the critical point at which we have to be as good as we possibly can, as accurate as we possibly can. And I can see you smiling there. Yes, comments for me. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. And, and I always do think, I mean, we, we mentioned that, that concept of single source of truth, which um, I step back and I kind of think, you know, when people talk about project schedules, um, you know, the textbook version of a project schedule is this lovely single item. You know, it's this, it's this one schedule, it's developed at the beginning, it might get updated and you have this lovely project that works on one schedule. But the reality is quite far from that where, um, mm. and you know, I, I, I it's not necessarily a good thing, but a project will often have multiple versions of schedules. And a lot of it is this what if that you're talking about, you know, um, where there may be a lot of optioneering going on saying, based on what we've achieved to date, how can we improve what's remaining? Um, and we may be looking at various options. You know, what if we were able to get additional resources to complete the work? What if we were able to um, maybe work in a different direction or perhaps, combine elements or split elements up, um, how, what would that, uh, the effect of that? And this is happening every day, right? Every day. I mean, I always say, um, if the project is going to plan, 
right? Then you should be looking to improve what's left, right? You don't, you, it's rare that a project gets to just sit back on its, you know, sit back in its chair and go, yep, everything's going to plan. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. You know, you're always looking mm -hmm. to improve. So there's always multiple versions of schedules. I think, you know, the, the what if that scenario building is an integral part of planning uh, a project. It's, it's very rare that you ever just, you know, develop one plan and walk away from it saying, that's it, that's what we're doing. You kind of, folks will make in my head, um, how does it or can it handle time risk allowance? Um, of itself, it can't. Uh, in the sense that it doesn't do any, um, it doesn't do any type of risk-based analyses or visualization. However, uh, and and it's it's an it's a good good point because the whole genesis for me developing the software to do this was um, I was working on a project a number of years ago where um, I do a lot of schedule risk analyses as part of uh, you know, the work I do, and we were looking at how do we actually represent the results from the schedule risk analyses in a meaningful way. I mean, you know, you, you run a Monte Carlo analysis and you get you know, a, a heap of data from, from the analyses. And we said, well, on this particular project, we already had a time location chart of the planned schedule. What if we just overlaid the risk adjusted schedule on top of it? And we could very, you know, very visually see Right, you know, in our in our deterministic or the planned, here's when we planned on doing it. But once we add all the risks and potential, you know, events and things that could go wrong, how does that that how does that drift? And because we had the capacity to overlay data sets on top of one another, um, so now I do a lot of work now where we actually use these charts um, and use the outputs from schedule risk analysis and view risk adjusted time location charts. Um, and it's very interesting when you look at, when you have a planned schedule and then what we can actually do is overlay, you know, P10, P50, P80, P90 results, you know, each one progressively becoming more and more conservative. And you can actually see the shift in the direction of activities. And when you get to those very high levels of confidence, you can see the dramatic effects of, of risks impacting the schedule. Um, you know, so you can say, you know, we planned on digging this tunnel from A to B, but once we include all the risks, you know, P90, you can see that extra, you know, we may start at the same time, but we're going to finish three months later um, based on the risk profile that we've modeled. Are we doing the right type of analyses? Have we modeled this correctly? Um, you know, have the inputs been uh, captured correctly? Have we mapped risks to the schedule correctly? All those kind of questions can just jump out at you when you're able to view that information. So, so in answer to your question, Mark, it of itself can't do risk analyses, but it can very easily show you the results of a schedule risk analysis because, again, it's just the same pieces of information. Yeah, that's awesome. I think as well the, I think what you're saying even with baselines is it has the ability to layer, and yep. so you can look at any kind of slippage analysis or baseline analysis yep. or even. TRA as, as a form of layering, layering visually, which is actually really useful, but is it, is it limited at one layer? Can you, I know you don't want, you, you come, you come back to me kind of saying, don't make it too complicated Val, because that's what we do. Um, can you potentially have multiple layers? Is that possible? The software that we're developing um, allows you to put up to three layers on top of one another, but you can change them at any time. 
So okay. you might have the baseline, you might have last month's update and your current month's update as those three layers, but it's a, just a simple drop down selector to say, well, which is the one I want to view differently, as long as you've captured all of that data. Yeah, no, that's great. And, um, but um, you're right. I mean, the risk is, the risk is if you start conveying too much information on these charts, it does start end up just being too messy, too noisy. And you start, uh, it starts defeating its purpose of being able to clearly understand, well, this is, this is the where and when. What about if you've got a really big program and like really big, like big, like Sydney Metro, let's take that. And you've got multiple areas and, and usually with these big projects, they're all staged anyway. Um, can you link multiple, let's say, um, uh, time changed charts? So you might, they might have specific purposes or different focuses because of the audience or the stakeholders that are reading them or because it's it's linked by um, different boundaries that are owned by different proprietary systems or teams is that possible as well um yeah absolutely i mean if you think about what these charts represent when you have uh, a date range and you might have a what we call a location range so um the charts and certainly the software because this software is custom built for this type of use we allow you to to limit the ranges on the charts so you can say only show me a certain period of dates or only show mm -hmm. me a, a period of location you can even filter the the type of tasks that are displayed so you might have you know 30 odd different types of work in the schedule but you might want to focus on just 10 of them because the audience you're presenting it to might be for example the the mechanical and electrical team right they don't really care about you know what's happening in in the civil world they just want to know when do they get access to their work and what have they planned for their work so you might turn around and say well i'll turn all these other elements off and just focus in on that m e period and what you can then do is create multiple charts so you might have one chart for the m e team on the northern end of the work and you may have mm -hmm. a second chart for the m e team on the southern end of the work then the you know the the commissioning team might say, no, we need to look at the whole of the project. So they may want a chart that shows you. I mean, it's all just effectively their filters applied on the data that's put, put into the system. So um, if you have a schedule that has all that information, you can certainly bring it all in and then just select the elements that you want displayed. That's a good idea because I think with some of these, maybe the other challenge they might have is just perceiving this uh, is if you're dealing with contractors and let's say you wanted to use it, you know, in a view, but you've got different contractors, you don't necessarily want to show all the work for all contractors, but you won't want to isolate that information. So you can do that with a filtering drop down and, and just show yeah, just, particular bars yeah. and areas. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, look, we're getting to the end of the, the, uh, the episode really quickly, Santosh, and we could have gone down so many rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> but before we go, we, we've got a quick pop, Pop, pop quiz, five questions, um, just all about yourself. Uh, are you ready to go, mate? I've, I've been warned about this. <laughs> Have you really? Oh, good. They're getting gentler. I think we've, we've gone soft, haven't we, Martin? Now, Martin, you want me yeah, to do it? You're, you're happy for me to, to kick it off? Go for it. Oh, you're, you're a gentleman. Uh, ready, Santosh? Okay, let's go. First one is steak, seafood, or salad? Oh, salad for me. Excellent. What's the best planning software? The one that gets used. <laughs> That's good. Uh, what is one piece of advice for people new to the project profession? 
I'd be curious. What would be your book recommendation to our listeners? Oh, it's been a long time since I've had a, the opportunity to sit down and read a good book. Um, <laughs> Me to have read it. Could be an audio book. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pass on that. I just I'm 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 at a loss here to 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 suggest a, a you know I I do like to every now and then not read technical books, but it's been a long time since I've had the chance <laughs> to do that. Excellent. Uh, if you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? Ooh, if I could go back to one moment in my life, what would it be and why? Um, hmm. Okay, that's a that's a really difficult one to 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 answer. Um, Look, I mean, my, my parents migrated to Australia a long time ago. And um, despite the accent, I'm, I, you know, I was born overseas. And I think I would love to go back to that period when they first arrived in this country and better understand how they dealt with all of that. Mm. Because, um, you know, I think it's just amazing what they did. And as a child, I don't really wouldn't have no ability to appreciate what, what they did to lead us to the, to the world that we, their kids have now. Mm, that's great. Um, I think there was one more, wasn't there, Martin? Uh, which superpower would you choose to have for a day and why? Oh, it, it would, I think, I think it would have to be, you know, the ability to understand what's going on in other people's heads. I would that have to good. do that. Well, you should have seen that last post I did on LinkedIn where they've converted thoughts to text. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, dude, <laughs> that's it's a, scary, that's man. That's a scary future. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's daunting, but uh, yeah, they're getting there. And even uh, basic pictures from dreams, they can start to articulate with AI. So, uh, wow. yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. But uh, <laughs> as long as they can draw a time change chart, that's all we have time for today. Mate, any final words or thoughts for our listeners? Uh, no, just as I said, be curious, be adventurous. You know, um, while we tend to think of engineering and project controls as being a very rigorous sort of logical and, you know, mathematical type of world, there's actually plenty of room for creativity and out of the box type of thinking. And I think um, that's where you actually see uh, the advancements and the evolution of, of, the, of the industry going is, is not in just you know, being very rigorous in, in the logical application, but, you know, saying, what if we, you know, what if we did this? What if we spun it around? What if we twisted mm. it around? What if we took it apart and put it back together again? You know, be curious. Yeah, that's great. Martin, anything from you, my friend, final thoughts? I think it's something that's really visual and it, and it helps people to engage with the planning process. It's something we, Val and I definitely struggle with in, in London. It, it just, it makes it visual, it makes it simple, and it's completely linked to the program. So there's no, or doing it your way, there's, there's not a risk of having separate programs. No, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, anything that gets more people interested in the schedule is not a bad thing. Exactly, exactly. Well said, guys. And we're all better off, uh, or, or better off having understood at least the basics from Santosh. 
Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you liked what you heard. Uh, you can pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your social media. A massive thank you to Santosh Bart for telling us all about time change. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Martin, it's bye for now. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.